Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Well, hi again, everybody. I'm Tom Brenneman, and you are dialed in. Since 1882, Children's Home of Northern Kentucky has been a lifeline for children and families in crisis. Now known as CHNK Behavioral Health, its team of doctors, nurses, and therapists impacts nearly 4,000 kids and families every year. An array of mental health services including counseling, addiction treatment, and psychiatric residential care. CHNK also continues to care for abused and neglected youth who are in the state's custody. Right now, CHNK Behavioral Health is offering a free 10-minute conversation with a clinical therapist to help families dealing with the increased pressures caused by the ongoing pandemic. Visit www.chnk.org for more details or for the free conversation with a therapist, call 1-844-YES-CHNK. Timothy Dwayne Hackett McGee was born in Cleveland, Ohio. In August of 1964, he went to John Hay High School. That's a city school in Cleveland. Went on to star at the University of Tennessee. As a volunteer, he broke all the records. Receptions, receiving yards, touchdown receptions. Was a first-team All-American his senior year. After his college career was over, he was selected in the first round of the NFL draft by the Bengals in 86. He would be a huge contributor to the Bengals over the next eight years, both as a wide receiver and a kickoff return man. He helped lead the Bengals to the Super Bowl in 88. In fact, had a pair of very big receptions in that game. One, an 18-yarder, which set up the Bengals' first score of that game. Since retiring in 1996, he's been a very successful businessman. And we mentioned you hear him around Greater Cincinnati on 700 WLW talking about his former team. And it's a pleasure to be joined by number 85, Mr. Tim McGee. Tim, how are you, young man? You're looking good. I am doing excellent. But I will say this, Tom, in your intro, if my mother was still alive and you named, you called me Hackett opposed to Hatchet, oh. would be coming after you. she would be coming after you, man. You know, that's on me. That is on me. Where does that name come from? That's a lengthy name, right? I mean, most of us have one middle name. You've got two of them. See, back in the day, you got whippings for not doing what you were supposed to do. I know that. I'm well aware. My my grandmother and my mother, that's my mother's maiden name. Okay. So when I turned professional, my my mother's maiden name was my name all the way up until fifth grade. Then my parents got married. They weren't they weren't married, but then they got married, and then I took on my dad's last name, which was McGee. So I'm just telling you, if you go outside the studio and you see the ghost of a five <laughs> five foot African American woman chasing after you, you'll know who that is. <laughs> I've been hoping a five five African American woman would chase after me for years. I don't know about the ghost part, but uh, I mean, God bless her. God bless her. Hey, uh, let me let me ask you, you know, I, I mentioned you grew up in Cleveland um, and, and you just uh, told us about your mom and dad getting married. You took on his name when you were five. What was life like growing up in your household in Cleveland, Ohio? Well, it was fun. I, I'm from a uh, you know, most people think when you're from a two parent uh, when you're from the inner city, 
and you went to an inner city high school, they think of dysfunction. That's yep. that's just kind of common. Uh, that was not my case. I had two parents. Uh, we were, you know, we scrapped, uh, we grind. That's that's what we were taught. So I had two older sisters that beat me on a daily basis, and you know, I learned to respect women and and take a good punch. Uh, but <laughs> you know, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. You know, we call it the concrete jungle. But uh, there was so much. I always say this, Tom. You know. I have two degrees. I have one degree from the University of Tennessee, and I have another degree from the inner city of Cleveland. So one taught me how to deal with in a professional life, and one taught me how, you know, to uh, use common sense and and just understand from uh, from top to bottom. And that has given me a lot of range to deal with, you know, corporate America or just dealing with kids that may not, you know, have the you know savviness of a uh, well-spoken, articulate. Uh, professional. So I, I love the range. I love I, I love the well-roundedness I had uh, growing up. So I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world. You know, it's, it, Tim, you brought it up and, and it's interesting because you're spot on on the first perception a lot of people have. I had Bob Huggins on the program about, um, I don't know, a month ago, maybe uh, three weeks ago. Terry Nelson came on uh, a week later and we were talking about you know, the upbringing for so many of these kids, uh, you know, primarily African-American kids when you're talking about the inner city, but but kids all over America, white, black, makes no difference. Um, and how rare it is to grow up in a household that has two parents around and the difference that makes in all of the things that you just talked about. It, it, it does because it adds balance and uh, you get both perspective. You know, for example, it's kind of a cross teaching my parent, my mom taught me how to treat women, so to speak, and, you know, seeing the delicate side of women and also having two, um, two girls in the house. My dad taught me how to be a man. So you, you need that. So, and, and especially at trying times, especially at when you drop a pass in the game where you lose your girlfriend or, you know, whatever happens and you do, don't do well in school or something tragic happens in the neighborhood, different parents can give you that balance. They're your go-to. You you kind of figure out which parent to go to for certain situations. And that's why I think it's important. And, you know, kudos to the the, the, the mom that raised kids on their yep. own, the single moms and, and even the single dads, kudos to them as well. But having that balance is very, very important, especially in, in, in the uh, inner city. You were a great basketball player, too. Uh, when I was getting ready for this interview, I had no idea you grew up playing with Charles Oakley. I mean, good Lord. I mean, you, you talk about a guy now put a hurt on people. Was he beating people up in basketball back when you were playing with him? Actually, he was beating people up in basketball and football. <laughs> so you, you, we, we always – I just talked to him the other day. Actually, when DeMar Hamlin got, uh, got hurt that day, he called me. We probably talked for about 30, 40 minutes. Uh, but what a lot of people don't understand about him, you know, football was his first love. So – Trust me, every Sunday, I'm pretty much going to hear from him because he loves football. He watches the game. And, you know, we, we sit and, and converse and talk about it. But, you know, he was a much, much tougher basketball player than he was football player because he was able to get away with it. And football, <laughs> you know, he always says, and trust me, we still have this conversation today that he could have played in the NFL. He could have been a tight end. He could have been a defensive end. And I'm like, why, why, why? You know, you the sports you picked, you were very, very good at it. But, you know, I don't know how you would be feeling on, uh, on Monday mornings if you were in the NFL. Was football your first love? Because you were a heck of a basketball oh, player from what I read. 
Absolutely. I, I, you know, football was something that just came natural to me. Uh, it, it was it started on the streets. Uh, there's a story in the, in the inner city of Cleveland. We did not have middle school football or sports. And then my uh, my what would be my ninth grade year in high school, we didn't have sports at all because of that. Um, they had to teach a strike and all that. So we played and, and I know this is the dinosaur days back when, you know, the leather face mask or leather helmets, I should say. But we played on the street. So it was a love, a passion for the game. And it wasn't really organized, but yet it was organized. So, um, yeah, although I loved basketball, and I used to always play in the offseason, I would go to Chicago and visit Oak. And I actually would call him Country because of, uh, of his name. So if you hear me call him Country, that's, <laughs> that's his nickname. Um, but we, I would go and play with uh, Michael and, and Horace and, and, and Scotty and all them. And, you know, it, uh, it kind of gave me a – a very clear perspective of where I was as a basketball player. Um, getting your shot blocked a lot with those guys, you know, it doesn't do bode well for your self-esteem as, as it pertains to basketball. And I had my shot blocked a lot, but I did a lot of talking because I knew if I got them on the football field, and that was the unfortunate Scotty and Mikey, they Mike, they talk all this trash about uh, basketball because I'm in their, obviously their profession, but I could never get them to come play, play some football so I can beat up on them a little bit too. I got you. I got you. Why Tennessee? Well, there's a very interesting story about Tennessee. Why I chose Tennessee, I didn't. My high school coach chose Tennessee. Again, I was telling you about the background. It was a hot mess. It was dysfunctional. The Cleveland Public Schools was. I went from John Adams High School, which was a very prominent inner city high school, to John Hay High School. And when I got there, the first words out of the coach mouth, I, 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 he said, Sonny Harris is his name. And he, was, he came up to me, walked up, met me at the steps and, said, and shook my hand and said, how you doing? What school do you want to go to? And, and I, he turned around and I was like, school as in I'm already at John Hay. I don't really understand. Uh, he turned back around. I'll never forget. He turned back around and said, I think we can get you at the University of Tennessee. So it was never really outside of my mind to really go somewhere else. And uh, I, I remember uh, Coach Harris, you know, taking me and just to give you a, a funny story. Well, it wasn't funny at the time. I had never been without probably outside of a five mile radius of, uh, of my home. That's that's just inner city living. Sure. And uh, when we went on our we went took an unofficial trip to um, to Ohio State. And when they came and got me on that Saturday morning and we were going to stay overnight, I literally walked out with the clothes on my back. I had no idea you're supposed to, you know, bring a toothbrush and toothpaste and, and an overnight bag. And, I, and I'll never forget, I knew something was going on because I sat in the back seat of Coach's car. And when I sat back there, I saw him and Miss Harris look at each other and I was like, I did something wrong. I wonder if they're going to tell me. And they told me, so all's good. But he he was the one that got me at the University of Tennessee because we had John Hicks, who went to um, Ohio State, was the um, yep. Outland Trophy or Lombardi Trophy winner. Uh, he had gone to Ohio State. Then Anthony Hancock had gone to the University of Tennessee, and it was, you know, becoming wide receiver university. And, you know, so he told me I, that's where I was going. And uh, my dad was pleased, and I was like, okay, that's fine. And it worked out well. You know, uh, now Ohio State is considered to be, strangely enough, wide receiver U. You know, they got all these guys going in the NFL, and Olave and Wilson had monster years as rookies this year, and Marvin Harrison Jr., and Smith and Jigmit, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but back in those days, when you went to Tennessee, 
at that time, it was known as wide receiver U. When you first got there, you know, in, in this day and age, a lot of guys walk out of high school. They come to these big-time programs. They're contributors, if not starters, right away. That was not the case for you right away at Tennessee, correct? No, it wasn't. That was something we had to build. Uh, we, we built our program, um, you know, starting with Hancock, then Willie Gault, Mike Miller, Daryl Wilson, so on and so forth. And, you know, then I was able to insert my talents there and uh, continue the tradition. And it's, it, it's going on today. And let me say this. Tennessee is still wide receiver university. Tom, I'm coming after you, man. Come Don't on. Ever say Ohio State. Is Come on, Tim. Come on, Tim. Good <laughs> Lord. That was fixed. That whole thing. That guy went in the Bolitnikoff Award. Harrison Jr. is a monster. You know it, and I know it. The kid had a great year. I give it up to him. He had a great year. Now, wait a minute. I will agree with you. Marvin Harrison Jr. is a better prospect, had a better year, and is a better talent. There's, and there's, in my mind, there's no question. The problem with college football, they got, they sometimes they spread things unfairly. You know, like the, you know, backup quarterback. How, you know, how, how these guys get these awards is, you know, that's that's another topic in itself for another day. Well, the kid had a great year, though, at Tennessee, and it was a shame what happened to their quarterback because I don't think there's any doubt about it if he doesn't get hurt uh, there in that college football playoff this year. You know, when, when you go down there, uh, a name as the years go by that a lot of people don't talk much about anymore is Johnny Majors. Uh, you know, he was at Pitt. He comes to Tennessee. He had a phenomenal uh, coaching career. For those that don't know much about him, um, is he any different or the same kind of guy that a lot of these guys are now, you know, the big name college football coaches, whoever they are, or was there something different about him? You know, I thought he, he kind of set the, the bar, so to speak. I, 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 I look at coaches and you know how brutally honest I am. I look at college coaches and I think the one characteristic most of them have is they're bullies. And and Coach Majors was no no different, uh, and I don't mean that in a negative way. It's it's just they motivated through fear, fear of taking your scholarship, fear if you didn't you know if you didn't do this, there was going to be consequences for it. So he to me he fit right in with the modern day coaches. Um, you know he was not you know he was a lot of positive things, a whole lot of positive things. And the one thing I loved about him is he was a communicator. But like most programs. Unfortunately, those who produced for the university and particularly the uh, the football program was treated a little bit different than the ones that didn't produce. They were kind of thrown to the wayside. So, you know, uh, but Coach Majors, his personality, his strategy, his understanding of the game, and he was just so damn classy. And that's, that's the one thing I absolutely loved about him. He was so classy, the way he carried himself, the way he's dressed, the way he made us carry ourselves in the way. And he let you be the individual. He didn't try to change your personality. You didn't have to, you know, go around saying, yes, sir, no, sir. You know, it, it, you know I, I just thought he was real, really grounded. But don't get me wrong. He was a hard ass. He was, um, you know, he, he, can, he can get after you. Your senior year in 85 is one of the most memorable seasons in Tennessee football history, and it's a rich history. You have the, the great quarterback, uh, Tony Robinson. He has a knee injury against Alabama. You had lost the week before, the only loss you had that year against um, Florida. But down the stretch, uh, Daryl Dickey comes in. You end up winning the SEC, and then you win the Sugar Bowl. Uh, if Robinson doesn't go down, is that a national championship team at Tennessee? 
No doubt about it. Tony Robinson and I, I God, I, I, people just hadn't been able to appreciate his talent. He was the most talented quarterback that I've ever been around. Uh, really? Oh my God, he he was incredible. I, and and I say that most people don't have. If you're if you didn't follow him or see him, but that was one kid that literally had it all. I mean, he had the arm, he had the smarts, he could. He just had the total package. And you know that was so unfortunate that we lost him uh, with that knee injury, and it changed the whole dynamics of our team. And you know, I remember I was never a uh, considered a knucklehead. And the only time I ever got the, uh, I would say, the nerves, the guts to uh, kind of storm into a coach's meeting was you mentioned that we we, we tied Georgia Tech because the, we lost Tony the week before and we changed, we tried to change our offense and customize it to Duro and do this and do that. And I, I would just, that's the only time in my, my four year college career, my 10 year NFL career, I actually went into the coach's office and I, I said, why don't we just, be ourselves. Um, you know, let Durrell just do a, same play, same thing, everything, and we'll adjust. So if he throws the ball not as long as Tony, if it's short, we'll come back and get it. Uh, but we are who we are. And, you know, I was shocked because, number one, when I went out, I just – I was probably as all nervous as ever because that's just kind of outside my personality box. Uh, but, you know, all in all, they they listened. Uh, Coach Cutcliffe and, and Coach Majors and Kippy Brown, they, they – yeah, let's give it a shot. And uh, we did, and, and we got on a roll. We ended up playing Miami in the um, in the uh, Super Bowl. I mean, Sugar Bowl, which was the funniest experience I've ever had because we were the only underdogs in, on the All American trips. Where I had, you know, Bo Jackson, Leslie O'Neill, David Fulcher, you know, Willie, uh, Willie, yeah, Willie, not Willie Anderson, Willie Smith, the tight end from Miami, and they talked so much trash all week long. And the, the irony of it all was we were the only team that won. <laughs> they all lost. <laughs> that is funny. Your first round pick by the Bengals is a Cleveland kid. A, did you grow up a Browns fan? B, did you grow up despising the Bengals? Uh, a, I love the Browns. I absolutely love the Browns. The Cowboys was, you know, one of my favorite teams where they were America's team. I didn't really know much about the Bengals, quite honestly. Even when I was drafted, when they drafted me, I had no idea who the head coach was because, you know, I was considered a, you know, one one or first first or second receiver to go off the board. And so the Bengals was picking 21st. So well, actually they were picking, I think, 14th and 21st with Joe, and they ended up picking Joe Kelly. So they didn't need a receiver. It's like, why in the hell would they pick me? They got Eddie Brown, who was the rookie of the year, Chris Collinsworth, All-Pro. What in the world are they going to do with me? So I never worked out with them, Tom. Never. Didn't know who they were, know nothing about them. So it was not anti-Bengals or pro-Bengals. They just was not on my radar. And when they um, when I heard I got drafted, I am telling you, man, for I would say a good two hours uh, towards the way, probably four hours, my agent and I, we were just waiting around for us for me to get traded. I, I really thought I was going to get traded, but that didn't happen as we as we know now. Um, when you get to Cincinnati, you're, you're number 85. I, I mean, I know you're asked about this all the time, but you know, the Bengals back great. in those days, they didn't have a ring of honor. Uh, they had the great Isaac Curtis. How did you get 85 and did you want 85? Well, you know, you, it's a mixed bag of emotions. I walk in and, you know, you're always interested to see what number they're going to give you. Do you, you know, are you going to, as a first round pick, are you going to 
you know, Mike Martin had 88 and that's the number I won college. Would I have to buy 88 or what number, you know, whatever. So I walked in and Tom Gray, who was the equipment manager at the time, uh, he put the uh, jersey in my locker and I looked at it and I mean, I can't repeat the word I said, but it was like, oh, you know, you fill in the blank. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is a setup. <laughs> you know, how in the world do I get this legend's number? An absolute legend. And, and you know what? But, you know, it you can turn that in that that doubtfulness, that uh, concern, you turn it into a positive and say, okay, listen, listen, if I follow this guy who's, you know, in, in my very strong opinion, one of the best, if not the best receiver to put on a uniform in, in Cincinnati, uh, if I follow him and if I could just do okay, you know, they won't dog me out because you know you start thinking negative. You're like, I'm a first-round pick. You know, you're always going, I can't be a bust. I can't be a bust. So um, it, it was an honor. There's no question about it, but I, it, it was nerve-wracking at first. Yeah, I, I have no doubt. Uh, you know, you start contributing more on special teams as a kickoff return guy right from the get-go. You mentioned the talent in that receiving room, uh, but you're starting to get more and more playing time as the next couple of years go by, and now you're one of the, the, the primary weapons of this team, culminating uh, to a team that got to the Super Bowl. Well, you know, I, I was explaining to a, a couple of these guys I work with when, um, for example, they were talking about guys who should be in the, in the ring of honor for the Bengals. And in my opinion, James Brooks was the greatest running back the Bengals have ever had. When he retired, he was the all-time leading rusher. Uh, you know, Icky had a great year that year, all that kind of thing. The weapons on that team, you being one of them. I'm not so sure, Tim, that the weapons on that team aren't better than the weapons on this current team. Now, some people might say I'm crazy, and the younger people are going to be like, give me a break. Would you agree with that, or you think I'm off base? I would agree 100%, because when you match up Boomer and Joe Burrow, you match up J James Brooks and, 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 and Joe Mixon, and myself, Eddie, and Chris, with Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase, and, and T. Higgins, yes, there's no question about it. Um... The old schools are going to go with us. The new schools are going to go with the, uh, the, but it's good to be in that company no matter what, because it's just that LeBron, Michael Jordan debate. Obviously, it, it'll never be settled, but there'll be lots of, um, of talk around the uh, dinner table about it. And I personally, I think it's a, it's an absolute honor because T Higgins is wearing my number yeah. and my family. My family has some ties to T. Higgins. You know, he's from Knoxville, actually Alcoa, Tennessee. And, you know, they, um, I'm, I'm, think, I'm thinking of Randall Cobb, but um, T. Higgins has a lot of ties with my, my family in Knoxville and they're close and all that. And yeah, it's, um, you know, when we go back, when we start thinking about that Super Bowl, that year, that run, oh man, it's, it's um, gosh, it's just, it's so joyous because I, when you were part of it and you know you came into the year after a down year and to make that run with the group of guys that we we we, we had everything just seemed to come together and it's funny i say everything although we lost some games tom i think for the most part things just went together until the last game yeah and then the last game we we, we ran into a buzzsaw and, and that was Unfor just an unfortunate incident that just we couldn't mentally recover from. You know, I, I, I've always thought, Tim, and I've asked Chris Collinsworth, he's been on the show. I've asked Anthony this question, he's been on the show. 
Um, I was down in Miami uh, covering the, the, the Super Bowl and the team that year working at Channel 5 as a young man. You and I are roughly the same age. I'm a year older than you are. But um, that Stanley Wilson thing, uh, you know, I, so many years have gone by now. Um, what do you remember most about that, that day before the game when you find out about it? How we found out. It was so surreal. Um, we were sitting in a, uh, we, as you know, we have uh, a team meeting the night before the game. So we we're going into our meeting and, and we're never late on our meetings. Our meetings start on time. Matter of fact, as they all say, if you're not early, you're late. So we're sitting around and, and the way it's, way it's handled for the viewers that don't know, first you go together, you come together as a team, Sam says something, uh, and then the team breaks up offense, defense, then you break up into your subgroups or your wide receivers, running backs, whatever. And we were sitting around waiting. And I, th I think the meeting started at seven o'clock. And while we were waiting, uh, we're sitting around and Eddie Brown is on my left side. Cause you know, obviously Eddie and I were pretty close still, still are. And you know, it gets to be like 701. Well, 701 may not mean a lot to some people, but for us, that's an eternity. And we're like, wow, we're, you know, we're running late. But it's the Super Bowl, something to expect. All right. Then it gets to be about 707. Then it's now 712. It's getting to be about 15 minutes late. And it's like, okay, wait a minute. And you can kind of tell something's going, something's eerie, something's not right. And you start taking roll call. And, you know, it's a mental roll call at first. And then you start talking. It's like, where is everybody here? You know, just kind of looking around. And then Sam comes into the room before me personally. I didn't know who it was, but I knew something was going on. I just, again, just had no idea of the magnitude it would it would turn out to be. And then Sam comes in and, he, and you know, he, he doesn't even, like, address the team. He just, Stanley, and his first words out of his mouth was, I'm sorry to report Stanley will not be with us tomorrow. Man, you're talking about numb. You're talking about mentally numb. But the first thing you want to do, you start thinking, I remember, did he die? Did he get hurt? What the hell's going on? So everyone just started looking around. I mean, from player to player. And, you know, we're, we're all in, let's just be honest, we're all in our subgroup. So, you know, it's, you know, you're looking at the running backs going, what do you guys know? And, you know, you're looking at the black guys and go, what do you guys know? And you're like, okay, somebody knows what the hell is going on. And then you look over at Jim Anderson, the running back's coach's face, and you know it's not good. I mean, you just know it's not good. And that was the, I for me, that was the emotional letdown because you don't say things like this. This is the, the BS that happens in sports. You can't say the real deal. And, yeah, we can go out and put on our, you know, our poker face and, and for the most part lie and tell people, oh, we'll be all right. We'll be fine. We're going you know, we're gonna do it because you're basically, you know, you're fooling yourself. You're being delusional. He was our heart and soul of our, our of our team. And you know, by the way we lost him, the fact that we lost him, you can't make adjustments because he's the lead back. You know, on the pepper plays, which are the play actions, uh, he's the lead back for Icky and, and James Brooks and so on and so forth. Remember, Icky didn't block for James Brooks, and James Brooks didn't block for Icky. It was Stanley. So, you know, it, we lost, I mean, I, I personally felt from an offensive side, we lost our heart and soul in Stanley. And on our defensive side, we lost our heart and soul, which was Tim Crumrise. So we had, you know, the, the hill was just too high 
for us to, or too steep, I should say, for us to uh, climb it. We just couldn't climb it. You watch the Bengals play each and every week. Uh, you were in the huddle with Boomer Esiason. Um, similarities, differences between Boomer and Joe Burrow? You know what? The similarities are this. They're both leaders by nature. Organically, these guys got it. Uh, you know, I could see, you know, it just that certain air, that certain capture the room, that certain uh, the leadership qualities that both of them have is just is something that, as they say, you just can't teach it. And, and I, Boomer just took command, not of just the offense, not just the defense, not just the team, not just the locker room and the training room. Boomer, in my opinion, took like Joe. He took control and command of the entire organization. And those are the similarities. You can go to the physical similarities of arm strength. Obviously, one was left hand, one was right handed. Success, you know, you can, when you look at them too, you go, wow. I go, because I've obviously caught passes from Boomer and I see, and I cover Joe. I see a guy that basically, I see two guys that. You know, they basically had the stern will and they guided, they'll guide their teams wherever the team uh, may go. Uh, I, I don't see a lot of differences because they're both, Boomer was surrounded with talent, Joe surrounded with talent. Um, I think they're both smart. Um, the relationship, one things that people don't talk a lot about, the relationship and bond Boomer had with Sam and Joe has with Zach. That to me, that added quality to me is what really makes them special. You know, uh, Zach Taylor is, is, is still so young. Um, and look, when he first got here, he didn't have many good players. Now he does, and he continues. I think we're all watching him grow and evolve as a leader and being more comfortable as the head coach publicly. I'm sure in, in the locker room, he's been more than comfortable with that for a long, long time. Sam Weish is still one of the most beloved figures in the history of the Bengals. Um, you know, I, I get choked up just thinking about the guy because I, I just thought he was such a beautiful human being uh, all the way down to his core. Didn't mean he was perfect. Nobody's perfect. We know that. Um, but, you know, when you look at those two guys, both offensive-minded guys, uh, you know, uh, came in with that reputation. Um what are the similarities and differences from what you've been able to tell between those two guys? I, I tell you, it's this is going to sound really interesting. For me, is really interesting. Is I know we can talk about the X's and O's. We can talk about the relationship with Joe, and we can talk about the relationship with Boomer. We can talk about how uh, they had the type of experience. Sam had a lot of experience. Uh, obviously, Zach didn't, and they they grew. And like I said, I don't know what type of person Zach is because I haven't really been in a, <clears throat> let's say, intimate setting where I get to know him as a person from the heart, heart out. Sam, I obviously know. But the most intriguing similarity to me that both has is both of them ability to gain confidence in the ownership and have the ownership follow behind them opposed to lead them. I don't know what Zach did. I don't know what Zach said during his interviewing process, but knowing Sam, how Sam would defend us to Mike and demand certain things. And Mike would actually follow Sam leads, not all the time, but sometimes. And I'm pretty sure that happens with Zach, but whatever Zach has done to get Katie and Troy 
Duke and Mike to believe in his system, that's been the key to their success in my very strong opinion. I saw it materialize with Sam and I saw how Sam made just little bitty adjustments, whether it was where we sat in training camp or having a stool in front of the locker, he brought Mike along. And you know, when you have management behind you, now you have all three phases, players, coaches, and management on the same page. That's when you start getting things flowing in the right direction, both short and long-term. We're going to circle back to the current Bengals here in a minute, but I want to I want to ask you a couple more questions uh, about your career. And, and you know, you, you have the big breakout year where you have the 65 receptions. You go for over 1,200 yards and score eight touchdowns. Statistically, anyway, it was the best year of your career. Um, when you have that kind of season, you've been surrounded by a lot of good talent. You still had a lot of good talent, but now you're starting to become more and more of the man as far as the receiver room is concerned. Chris had retired. Uh, There were a lot of things, moving parts that were starting to happen. Is there a difference between, you know, walking in and you're the second or third guy? And, you know, I kind of relate this a little bit from where you were when you first came in to maybe where Tyler Boyd is at times or where T. Higgins is at times since Chase has come in. And now you become the man. Is there a difference in your own mind about what it is you have to do now that you're the man? Yes, there is. And the number one thing is don't put too much pressure on yourself. Don't let the ego take over because whatever got you there will continue you on that path. Once you to have the understanding for me, I had a great career. And let me tell you, I don't mean great career statistically. I came into a situation where I didn't have the pressure that I had to produce right away. And by learning the number two receiver, first number three, then number two, then number one, that gave me a full range of understanding of the entire offense. So I knew, you know, where the running back would be, where the uh, the tight end should be. I knew the whole dynamics of our offense. And that type of growth made me a better number one, number two, because you're not the number one receiver every single play. Only half the game was Eddie. When I was the number three receiver, Eddie would be the number one receiver. I was going into the game. But when you call, when we call Chris's number or my number, we had different understandings and responsibilities. And that's what I've, you know, that's the biggest adjustment. And I said this on all the media, uh, in the, all the media circles I was in, it's a matter of understanding when it's not your day that's going to make you a better number one receiver. To understand it's not your day and that will make you a better number two receiver. You can look at and judge, and that's what we do. We judge statistics. I don't judge statistics because I knew I can look at my yardage, my numbers, but I could also add probably about 20% of Eddie's numbers because I was the direct cause of him getting open. But that goes, that's people look at the football and don't understand the whole dynamics of a play. It was my job to get Eddie open. And when I say get him open, Eddie's job was on certain plays to beat one guy. It was my job to make sure the second and third guy were not a part of that play. So if Eddie beat that guy on what we call play action, and when Eddie caught the ball, you did not see another player chasing Eddie. And the reason being, 
that was my job to make sure those two guys were taken in a different direction. So understanding that whole concept of what you have to do as a team player, yes, people label you one, two, three, but it varies. It changes at different port, um, part, um, parts of the game. It changes in your career. And to know all three, I was blessed by doing so. Last thing I want to ask you. Um, you came here, you played here, you left for a year, you came back here, you talked about the injury that ended your career. What kept you in Cincinnati? My wife. <laughs> my, my wife. <laughs> I want you to hear uh, when I got hurt, I, was I told you I was in the, uh, in the hospital, and I laugh at this, although it was serious at the time. My wife was, she announced my retirement. Um, she walked in, and, and she was so, you know, distraught. She was like, oh, we're done. We're done. We're done. Okay? All right, we're done. <laughs> so that, that was number one. So I think you know and understand um, who's the boss. Oh, yeah. So I wanted to live in Florida uh, when my career ended. Uh, we had a house in Florida. We had a house here, and I, I really wanted to live there. And um, and I said, and she told me one day, she said, why, um, well, my, my oldest daughter, Keandra, is um, turning five. We have to pick her school, and now it's time to really buckle down with the school systems. And I said, oh, well, we need to look around here. And she said, for what? I instantly knew I was going to be living in Cincinnati. And I've lived here since then. I love Cincinnati. Um, the, the winter times is a little rough as you get older, but I mean, Cincinnati is an awesome town. It really is. You know, it, it's one of those cities that it may not get the 10 and, you know, across the board or get a 10 on the score. Uh, but you know, it's, it's solid, low crime, great school system, great people, Midwest four seasons. I can't complain. I mean, two sports teams, you know, no, is it Vegas? Is it Miami, Florida? Is it New York? Is it Chicago? No. But I can name a whole lot of the cities that's not. So I'm a Cincinnati and I'm a transplant. I love it here. I enjoy it here. My family's here. We raised our kids here. Our kids are here. All three of our kids are here. So I think that um, speaks for itself. Well, I'll tell you what, Tim, we're lucky to have you. Uh, you, you have always been uh, one of my all-time favorites. And I love listening to you on the radio. And just like today in this show, uh, you lay it out there. I appreciate you having me, Tom. Thank you. It's, it's been an honor. It's been a true honor to be with you. A true well, thank honor. thank you, Tim. Appreciate it, buddy. All the best. We'll look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.